Hello, everybody. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming, man. It's good. It's good to be together. I don't know about you, but man, that uh, that time of singing was was so good, so good, so good. Um, to think that we have voices that we can use to be able to express our love to the Lord. And I tell you what, he really, he gets excited about that. So uh, we want to take full advantage of telling God how great he is because you know what, he sure is. Um, I think all of us realize, man, our country uh, is facing some challenges. And I, uh, I have to tell you, this morning... I got my Bible and I went out uh, on our porch and uh, I had my Bible reading plan and, you know, reading through the texts for the day just to be able to say, Lord, you know, reading, pausing, Lord, talk to me through this. Uh, I tell you, it keeps perspective. It does. It gives us perspective to see things through the eyes of the Lord. And uh, it encourages us and strengthens us to live each day for his honor and his glory and fame. So if you're not reading your Bible, man, I want to encourage you to pick it up and read it. Not doing the Evelyn Wood speed reading, no, no, just reading it, pausing, reading, pausing, reading. And um, I'm telling you, God speaks, he talks. Um, maybe not through an audible voice, but through his word. He taps us on the shoulder and gives us wisdom and direction for the day. So I want to encourage you along that way. Hey, if you're watching online, we, uh, we want you to stay connected with the talk today. And you can do that going to the church web. There's a video player. With the notes on it, you can uh, pull those up. Or if you're on the church Facebook page, there's a comment section, and and you could pull it up there as well. So I have my outline, <laughs> and I sure do appreciate it. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it. So so we want you to have one, and if you notice. Uh, t- today, there's two blanks already filled out for you, number one and number two. And, and the question might be, well, why is that? Because last Sunday, that's as far as we got. So uh, we're helping you already, you know, to get two out of those six. So, man, you talk about stress-free. There you go. Stress-free. Good for you. Yeah. So uh, we want you to enjoy your time to think the Lord who created everything, the universe, the world, everything, you, me, he's here. And uh, we get to rest in his presence. So we do that in a very, very important way today. Yeah. We're picking up from last week. Jesus, a man and a party crasher. Three different individuals, and I don't know about you, but I enjoyed it. (laughs) I did. Um, So 
we're going to pick it up from last week, and uh, we're in the book of Luke, chapter 7, um, verses 36 through 50. And once again, it's, uh, it's about Jesus, a man, and a party crasher, and the sub-point is Jesus receives two different responses. It's kind of interesting, um, when you look at uh, this particular part of the Bible, uh, there's really two extremes with this man and the party crasher on how they respond to Christ. And, uh, and we see how Jesus responds to both those responses in a very loving way. So, But uh, before we get into the text, just want to zero in to uh, a life story that I think we can all relate to. Max Licato, pastor... Christian author, um, great communicator, and uh, he's a pastor who's authentic and um, very transparent, and I appreciate that about him. And he tells the time when uh, he was a teenager, um, and he, he and his buddies would get drunk all the time and, and uh, whoop it up, and uh, he says... Alcoholism was a um, was something that haunts our family. He said, "I had memories as a child. My father taking me to a rehab center to go see his sister, and uh, it, that wasn't the only time. There were similar scenes repeated with other relatives in his family for decades." So uh, he said, uh, "Beer didn't mix well with our family DNA." Um, and so he said, by the time I was 21 years old, I made the commitment to stop drinking. And so, um, that was it. He had been a pastor for years and he said, something happened to where instead of going for the can of soda in the store, I went for the can of beer. He said, I really don't understand how that happened, but it happened. And, um... I realized even at church daily, I, my mind would start thinking, boy, I can't wait till I can go get a can of beer. And, and he started to lean in uh, to, to that again. And so um, he realized that, you know, he kept that to himself. He, it was kind of a secret. It was a, a part of his life that he hid away. Because he said, I didn't want to have drink beer at home because my daughters would see me uh, and think less of me. I didn't drink beer in the public because who knows might see, you know, who, who knows who might see me. And um, so not at home, uh, not in public. He said it left me with one option. And what was that option? Yep, going to a convenience store somewhere. Um, and so I'd go into the convenience store, buy a can of beer in a brown paper bag, bring it back to my car, and drink it in the parking lot. And um, he said, I, I started to get into that routine. And then one day I was on my way to speak at a men's retreat, and I stopped for my daily purchase. And I walked out of the convenience store once again with a beer pressed against my side in a brown paper bag, and I climbed into my car and opened the can. 
And he said, suddenly, suddenly, I I was convicted. He said, because the night before, I had a long talk with my oldest daughter about not covering things up. Well, that's interesting. And so um, it dawned on me that I became and I have become something that I hate, a hypocrite, uh, a pretender, two-faced, acting one way, living another. He said, I, I wrote sermons, man, about people like that. And here I am doing the very same thing. Mm. Man, it was the cover-up, man, the cover-up that made me sick to my stomach. And so I said, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in a car. I knew what I needed to do. I was reminded of 1 John 1, 8 and 9. It says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Max says, confession is not telling God what he doesn't know. (laughs) I think it's a good reminder. God knows everything about us, you know. We don't have to tell him, oh, man, I was surprised by that, you know. It took my breath away. No, God knows everything. And confession isn't complaining, and confession isn't blaming. He said confession is so much more. Confession is a radical reliance on the great grace of God a proclamation of our trust in the goodness of God. So, what I did was bad, we acknowledge, but your grace is greater than my sin, and I confess it. God's great grace creates honest confession. And so, like the prodigal son who prayed in Luke 15, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Or the confession of the tax collector in Luke 18. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. It's a pretty good confession. You see, David described what happens when we suppress Sin In Psalm 33, he said, But when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. You see, God may send you to talk to the church, because in James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You see, James, the half-brother to Jesus, was saying, not only should you confess your sins to God, but you should confess them out to each other. Max says, I did this. I did it. He says, you might be wondering what I did with the hypocrisy that was in me. Well, he said, first of all, I threw the can of beer in the trash. Next, I sat in the car for a long time praying in that parking lot. And then I scheduled a visit with our church elders at our home church. He said, I didn't embellish or downplay my actions. I just confessed them. 
And they in turn pronounced forgiveness over me and said, in fact, one elder reached across the table. He put his hand on my shoulder and said, what you did was wrong, but what you are doing tonight is right. God is, God's love is great enough to cover your sin. Trust his grace. Max said, after I talked to the elders, I spoke to the church. At a midweek gathering, I once again told the story. I apologized for my sin and requested the prayers of the congregation. What followed was a refreshing hour of confession in which other people did the same. He says, our church was strengthened, not weakened by our honesty. You know why? Because confessors find a freedom that deniers don't. I mentioned that last Sunday at the chapel when I was going to college. Same thing happened. A professor got up, confessed a secret sin, and then it went on for hours. Max said the same thing happened in his church. There's something powerful about confession. First John 1, 8, 9, if we claim we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. He says, man, those are pretty powerful words. It's not that he might or he could or would or has been known to, but it says he will cleanse. So, he concludes, tell God what you did. And again, it's not that he doesn't already know, but the two of you need to agree on his grace and forgiveness. And so this morning, today, I would like to submit, is there anything that you need to confess? Debbie and I knew of a pastor who had a huge church. He had been there for a long time. And the city he was in and the surrounding communities, they esteemed him highly. But the sad thing is, after he died, it came out that he had an immoral stronghold in his life. And it came out to the public. See, I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen to you, man. When it's all said and done, the secrets, the the dark places of your life come out in the light. It's not the way it should be. No, no. We have a God, as we just saw through Max Licato, the freedom to be able to come to him and confess that sin. And, if, and for accountability purposes, man, putting it in the light, having people hold us accountable so that we don't drift back and we don't keep going into those dark places. No, we put an end to it. We sign off on that sin so that we can walk in victory. That is the heart of God. And that is, that is what happened with this woman who came to Simon's house. She went public with that sin. She experienced the forgiveness of God, and I tell you what, it liberated her. 
It set her free from, from a life of pain, rejection. And so let's go to Luke 7 and, and pick it up because what Max Licato did, I believe, is what this woman did in Luke 7. Let's go there. Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume, and then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Can I tell you, in the eyes of God, he would say, she was a sinner. She was a sinner. But in the eyes of God, she was a sinner. Simon was still living in the past. She is a sinner. And Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Today, today, right here, right now, can we say, Lord, you said you have something to say. Lord, will you say it to me? Can, Can you open your heart right now and say to the Lord, Lord, say what you want to say to me because I'm listening. Will you do that? Father, oh, man, Almighty God, how we, your created people, play games with you. We dilute your power and authority. And we try to elevate ourselves on equal playing ground with you. Lord, forgive us for doing that. Forgive us for those secret places in our lives where we think we're keeping it from you and we think we're so cool because we can do that, but Lord, we're just deceiving ourselves. We realize that. And as you spoke to to Simon and as you addressed this woman, so Lord, speak to us today as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, all right. So, Number one, someone going through the motions. Uh, Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner uh, with him. Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And we have a tale of two sinners in this house. First one is Simon. He he thinks he's so religious. He's he's a Pharisee. And uh, because he knows the law and lives by the law, he kind of lives his life uh, looking down on people. 
because he thinks he's got it together, you know. And so he's a sinner in the eyes of God because there, he sees no desperate need for a Savior in his life. It's obvious. And then we have this woman, you know, showing up uh, in his house as well. And this, place, this took place somewhere in, in Galilee region, somewhere could be near Capernaum, and we've been talking about Capernaum uh, the last few weeks too. And so there's two different people. And Simon evidently realized that Jesus was becoming very famous, and he figured, man, I'm going to bring him into my home, and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, use his fame to build my fame, you know. But he had no interest in getting to know Jesus or even to put his faith in Christ, and yet Jesus came because he made a visit into Simon's house on purpose so that hopefully, ultimately, Simon would see his need for a Savior and put his faith in him instead of religion and the law. So that's number one. Number two, someone desperate for Jesus. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. So if you, if you check the, the timeline of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll, you'll see that Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 comes right before this, Luke 7. And what does Matthew eleven twenty eight say? Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Do you think this woman possibly was carrying some heavy burdens? Do you think? Hmm? You think she was tired of carrying the weight, the guilt, the shame? And Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. Is that possible, she she thought. I need rest for my soul. My, my soul is in torment. Jesus said, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And wow, wow. The great exchange, man. She had somehow heard Jesus' words. And she herself put her faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus, take this burden of sin from me. This guilt of sin. This shame of sin, Lord. Take it. I give it to you. I'm a sinner. And it's possible she could have heard in Luke 5, 32, I have come, Jesus said, to call not those who think they're righteous, like Simon, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. This woman knew she was a sinner, and she knew she needed to repent. See that? And so this woman, this woman had heard of Christ, had put her faith in Christ. It's just like what Peter Lord says, when our embarrassments level is exceeded by our desperation level, we are a candidate for God's grace. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When our embarrassments level is exceeded by our desperation level, we are a candidate for God's grace. Somewhere along the way, 
in her life, she had heard Jesus' words that exposed those secret places in her life. You see, she was carrying in a brown bag. It's like Max Licato, the secret, those secrets. And she had made them known to the Lord. She received the grace of Jesus Christ, and man, she desperately wanted to express it. So, when she came to Simon's house, and when we see in number two, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Do you know what's going on here? Out of gratitude for having the brown bag taken away from her through the forgiveness of Jesus, the weight lifted off her, the sins forgiven. (laughs) The only thing, man, it says she heard that Jesus was in this home. She wanted to come with this alabaster jar of expensive perfume and express her gratitude to the Lord for forgiving her, giving her a brand new life. Man, that's good. Number three, who's talking to themselves? Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Well, we already addressed that. Uh, she had already been forgiven um, by the Lord, and she had come to express her gratitude for that forgiveness. Man, that weight lifted off of her. That's why she's weeping, man, because the weight is gone. The guilt is gone. And Simon, we know, had already embarrassed himself and his guests by not acknowledging Jesus, you know, the the traditions of that day, you know, washing their feet, putting a little olive oil on them, uh, showing them respect. Simon didn't do any of this. Hmm. The problem with Simon was he was blind spiritually. He didn't see himself as a sinner. He saw himself as a religious leader. The blind leading the blind. And Jesus had come and was desiring ultimately that Simon would see his sin of pride, arrogance, his need for a Savior. He was a sinner just like this woman had been at one time. And so um, Simon was, was guilty of the sins of the Spirit. You know, we need to sometimes realize, I, I, I'm thinking about this, as a follower of Christ for a long time, I'm telling you, my gratitude for the Lord, for his forgiveness in my life, the great exchange, it makes me more appreciative as time goes on. As he pours his love into me, his love just keeps coming and coming, and I realize I don't deserve it, but he keeps pouring it in. It makes me so grateful. It makes me thankful. And this woman, this woman realizes that. Um, 
back in February 1983, man, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, 60 Minutes, Mike Wallace interviewed the Auschwitz survivor Yohail Dainur, a main witness at the Nuremberg war crime trials, and during the interview, a film clip from Adolf Eichmann's 1961 trial was viewed, which showed Dainur enter the courtroom and come face-to-face with Eichmann for the first time since being sent to Auschwitz almost 20 years earlier. Dainur, when he saw him, stopped cold, and he sobbed uncontrollably, and then he fainted while the presiding judge pounded the gavel for order in the court. So why was Dainur overcome? By hatred? By fear? By horrid memories of that prison camp? No, it wasn't any of that, he said. Rather, Dainur went on to explain to Wallace, he said all at once he realized Eichmann was not the godlike army officer who had sent so many people to their deaths. No, he he said, this Eichmann was an ordinary man. I was afraid about myself. I saw that I am capable to do this. I am exactly like Eichmann. What's Diner talking about? He's realizing that as horrific of a person as Eichmann had been in that prison camp, he had the same potential of being that evil man. Can I tell you something? Because as human beings, without having a Savior to guide and direct our lives, friends, we can go into the deep end with sin. Sin will take you where you don't want to go. That woman realized she needed a Savior. We can compare ourselves, you know. We're so good at doing that, aren't we? This, this Pharisee, this Simon dude, he compared himself to the other people. And man, because he kept the law and the rules of religion, man, he was, he was, he was it. So as long as we compare ourselves to other people and we push them down, we elevate ourselves, we pat ourselves on the back. That's not the way it should be done. Or we weigh the bad against the good. Former mayor... Michael Bloomberg was interviewed just before his 50th college reunion, and Bloomberg talked during this interview on how sobering it was to realize how many of his classmates had already passed away. But the journalist who was interviewing him, Jeremy Peters, observed Bloomberg didn't seem to be too worried, no, no, about what waited for him on the other side. Peters says, But if Bloomberg senses that he may not have as much time left as he would like, he has little doubt about what would await him at a judgment day. Pointing to his work on gun safety, obesity, and smoking, getting people to stop smoking, he said with a grin, I am telling you, this is is Bloomberg, I am telling you if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed, I am heading straight in. Why? Because I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. It's the good and the bad in the balances. Michael Bloomberg figured, man, I've done so much good stuff for humanity. I'm just going to walk right in because I deserve it. That was Simon's attitude. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be.
Bloomberg's perspective was grace isn't needed in his life. No. And we see Simon thinking, what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? What do you think about? What goes through your head when nobody's listening? Well, Simon said, how could he be a man of God possessing true spiritual insight and allow this kind of woman to be around him? The Greek word for what kind of woman comes from the, from the same Greek word that means soil or dirt. So literally, Simon was thinking if he were a true prophet, he would know how dirty that woman who is touching him really is. Okay? You see how he's posturing himself? He doesn't need a savior. That woman does. And Jesus is more than a prophet, man. He is God. Number four, Jesus exposes what's in the heart, verse 40. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. That's what the Lord is good at. Simon, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. And you can kind of get a smug response from Simon. Go ahead. Go ahead, teacher. Go ahead. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to another, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled a larger debt. Bingo, Jesus says. That's right. Do you see how close Simon was? He recognized the one who had been forgiven more would love more. Do you see how close Jesus, his desire is that Simon will ultimately put his faith in him. How close Simon was from the head to the heart, 18 inches. But that's where it stops. That's where it stops. Jesus is exposing what's in Simon's heart. He's got an Arctic heart. He's got a permafrost soul, man. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty ice cold down there. And Jesus was saying, hey, Simon, you and this woman formerly was a debtor. Yeah. You, you're, you're both over your heads. The creditor can come and take everything that you own to pay that debt. And Jesus is saying, which person's in bigger trouble, the guy that's in drowning in 50 feet of water or the person that's drowning in 500 feet of water? Who, who, who's in bigger trouble? What do you think? Hmm? Well, it would be ridiculous for the person in 50 feet of water to look at the person that's drowning in 500 feet of water and think, well, at least I'm better off than they are. See, that, that, that doesn't make sense, does it? Wouldn't it do any good for the person in the 500 feet of water drowning to think, if I can just swim over to the person that's in the 50 feet water, I'll be okay. I'll make it. No. Yet so many people think the self-righteous person thinks I'm better off than, than they are. But all the while, they're going to drown in 50 feet of water. Doesn't matter. 50 feet, 500 feet. Boom. Or the sudden... You know, the, the sinner who, who thinks if I can just clean up my life by swimming over from the 
foot side to the 50 foot side. I can clean myself up and then I'll be fine. No, in God's eyes, they're both as guilty. Doesn't matter, 500 feet, 50 feet. One sin is enough to keep a person out of heaven. Think about that, one sin. So 50 feet of sin, 500 feet of sin, doesn't matter. You, it's a debt you can never pay. Charles Spurgeon, preacher in the 1800s, put it this way, too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. He who has stood before his God convicted and condemned with a rope around his neck is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned, to hate the evil which has been forgiven him, and to live the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. That is so true. And that's the picture of this woman. She has been forgiven much. And she loves much. And she loves to worship the Savior who forgave her. Man. Romans 3.23, everybody, everyone has sinned. (laughs) That means Simon did too. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And so... Jesus exposes the heart. Number five, gratitude on display. Verse 44, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. Just imagine being there. If you could just be that little fly on the wall to see the the gratitude. When I entered your home, now Jesus is dealing with, hey, Simon, remember when I came in the front door? You didn't even acknowledge me. You didn't offer water to wash the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't even greet me with a kiss. That was tradition back then. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Another thing, Simon, by the way, you neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins... And they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Simon couldn't even see past his sin, you know? All he sees is her as a sinner. And Jesus is acknowledging, here's a woman who has experienced forgiveness. And she's bringing in an alabaster jar of perfume worth thirty to $50,000. And she's pouring it out on the feet of Jesus. She's not going to be able to, to get it back into the alabaster jar. No, it's gone. It's gone. It's an offering. It's a love offering to the Lord of Jesus. Thank you for rescuing me from a life of sin. No more secrets, Jesus. I'm living for you. She went public. Yep. 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, and I am the worst of them all. <laughs> Paul, he recognized, man, back then, I was brutal. I would run Christians over. I'd, I'd chain them up. I'd have them killed, man. I, I was the worst dude out there. 
He said, Jesus came to save the sinners. Man, back then, I was the worst of all. He saved me. He recognized his need for a Savior. And number six, Jesus dispenses his gift of grace, verse 48 through 50. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now, why is he saying that? Her sins had already been forgiven. He's saying it to Simon and the rest of the Pharisees around that table to prove that he is the Son of God who can forgive sins. And and here we go, verse 49. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? See? Jesus is acknowledging he is who he said he is. He is the Son of God. And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In other words, because you put your faith in me, you are saved. You are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light once and for all. And this woman is so grateful for that. The Jerusalem Bible, verse 48, brings it out. For this reason I tell you that her sins, her many sins, must have been forgiven. Why? Or she would not have shown such great love. Man, pretty messy. Wouldn't you say? Around that table. She's crying and she's pouring that perfume on his feet. It's a mess. It's a mess. Can I tell you something? Jesus loves messes. He loves it. Yeah. Man, when you worship him out of gratitude, thankfulness, it can get messy. (laughs) You know, it can. But God, God is so good. Max Licato put it this way. What one discovery has she made that Simon has not? What one treasure does she cherish that Simon doesn't? Simple, God's love. We don't know when she received it. We aren't told how she heard about it. Did she overhear Jesus' words? Your father is merciful. Yep. And so in verse 48, Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. You know, this is the perfect tense in the Greek which means her forgiveness was an accomplished fact. In other words, it wasn't conditional. It wasn't a process. It was done. It would be like somebody saying, your debts have been canceled. You owe nothing. Boom. Your sins are forgiven. And so today we celebrate that. What's the proof of her salvation, her love for Christ expressed? To him, for the first time she had peace, Jesus said, go literally into peace. Why? Because she had moved from being at war, hostility with Christ because of her sinful life. And now she's enjoying the peace of God. Wow. Proverbs 28, 13, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. I want to encourage you before we close out today. Is there anything in your life, man, that needs to come into the light? Because people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy.
Yeah. That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to forgive you just like he forgave that woman. He wants to set you free as he set this woman free from a life of guilt and shame. Hmm. Years ago, a man named Glenn had been doing five years to life in prison for drug dealing and other crimes. And one night while in prison, he just had this overwhelming sense of aloneness. It was crushing him. Like, why is there such a void in my life? And so he wandered into the prison chapel, and at that time they were having a chapel service, and the dude that was talking gave the gospel message about Jesus going to the cross and paying for his sin debt. And it was at that time that Glenn realized that, man, he, he was a sinner who needed a Savior. And it was then, that night, that Glenn said, Jesus, forgive me my sins. I'm inviting you to come into my life and be my Savior. You know what Glenn found out later on? That his mother, at that same time, had been praying for him, her wayward son. the great love of Jesus. And God put it in Glenn's heart that desire to tell everybody about the great love of Christ that he experienced. And so today, maybe is there something you need to confess to the Lord? Bring it into the light. You know, you've been living a double life. You know, hypocrisy being somebody that you're not. Maybe it's time to put it in the light. Do it. I want to encourage you to do it. Just like Max did. Or if you've never responded to the love of Christ like this woman in Luke 7, maybe today is the day where she put her faith in Christ and her sins were forgiven and she was liberated. She was liberated. You can say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Sin will keep me away from you, a holy God. And I realize, Jesus, you love me so much that you went to the cross to pay for my sin debt in full. It's paid in full. I can't earn it. I can't be good enough. I can't work it off. I'm a debtor. I'm in that 50 feet of water. I'm in 500 feet of water drowning right now, Lord. I need you to rescue me. Because I believe you are who you said you are, the Son of God. Forgive my sins. I'm putting my trust in you right here, right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for becoming my Savior. And by your Spirit's power, I will live for you, Lord, the rest of my life. Yes, I will. Well, if you 
invited Jesus in as your Savior, man, we celebrate with you. We want to encourage you to go to the lifechurchmh.com. There's a link there that you could fill out your name, information. We'll love to give you uh, more information on how you can grow in your faith, how you can grow in your relationship with Christ. Man, that's the greatest decision you can make. Yeah. So thanks for watching today. God bless you. Amen.